hey, you're listening to Chew on That. Here's what we're chewing on today. So grab your Bible, because this is about to be fun. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, because we're going to take an epic journey of biblical proportion. This is going to be awesome, and I'm going to, and you're going to giggle a lot as we talk about today, I am restored. Hey, hi, welcome to Chew on That. My name is Scott Eastman. I'm your host today for this podcast where we dig deeper into the most recent sermon from the current sermon series happening here at Life Church in Green Bay. And uh, today uh, we're talking about Alan Griffith's uh, message on I Am Restored. And joining me today is my very good friend and my very special guest, uh, Pastor Sean Hennessy. Say hi, Sean. Hi, Sean. It's so good to see you today. Thanks. It's good to be seen. How was your weekend? Good, man. I didn't have to... Uh carry the load of having to write another message. I mean, I wrote next week's already. Yep, so right. that that actually kind of, it feels so good to be ahead. Yeah. So people don't understand that it's like I write an oral report for school every week. Every week. Yep. Every week. Right. In perpetuity. Yeah. Citations and everything else, <laughs> yes. right? They can't just like make something up. Yeah. Here's I my opinion it. on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How many footnotes do you have? Right. Like, it's insane what you have to do. You know, when I went to grad school, I found something interesting that they changed how you write papers. That was frustrating. Oh. It was like the whole format had changed. And so I had to take another class on how to write papers for graduate school. What's it now? Is it MLA? Is that what it is? I don't even know what you call it. Oh. They call it hard. <laughs> yeah. like the, what you don't know how to do is how you should do yeah. this. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> I, uh, I just... I, I graduated from St. Norbert. Uh, Congratulations. You're recently uh, too, Yes, man. yeah. So I walked the stage in 1996, and here we are, whatever, 26 years later, and I finally took the last class that I needed to actually have my degree. And so I like, they told me it's got to be this MLA format and all this other stuff, and I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm just uh, going to write you. Google, <laughs> yeah, how do I do this? Just told me what I did. <laughs> and then my final project, I did a video instead of a paper because you could do that. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's where I shine. You know what I mean? So like Nailed I did it. that. And so I'm not trying trying to be boastful, but I'm going to for a second. So like that video that I did, like they sent it to like all of staff at St. Norbert. You got to watch this guy and how he thinks and what he thinks about St. Norbert, what he thinks about Abbott Pennings and what he thinks about his Catholic education and blah, blah, blah. It was pretty cool. I love that. That is so cool. Sometimes you can brag on yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I feel stupid doing it, but I called, I called Abbott Pennings. I forgot his real name, Henry. And a Henrik, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I you shouldn't him. even have a first name. Nope. I feel like, like it's, it's just Abbott. Yeah. So I called him a, like the original baller or something oh, because he, sure. he was like, <laughs> and like that was like the big joke. Hey, speaking of ballers, so our friend Alan Griffith, Alan Griffin, Alan Griffin, Griffin, Griffin with an N, in, like the like the, the mythical figure. Yes. Yes. Anyway, he uh, he spoke this weekend. You led worship. I which, did. Uh, by all accounts, was a fantastic thing. So was that Thanks. fun for you? It was fun. Yeah. I. I in a former life, I was a worship leader. Actually, in a former life, Shelby and I were worship leaders together no at a church in San Diego. So it wow. was like going back in time. That's cool. Just with better songs <laughs> and a much better band. It was awesome. <laughs> it was really cool to see the worship perspective from that angle. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, normally I see it. I used to almost be a green room pastor, which I hate. I mm. don't like that. but. Yeah. I get very nervous before I preach yeah. and I, I don't want to be distracted. So I used to walk in from the back. Right. So I would watch worship on a TV screen. Yep. So I would kind of be worshiping alone. And then when we came out of the pandemic, the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. I see. said, I think that you should show your worship team and your people 
that you're a worshiper. And so I began to sit in the front row and worship corporately. Yeah. And so that gave me a different perspective and it was fun to be able to hear the voices of the people, but then to be on stage and to be able to look and see the faces of the people and hear the voices of the people, especially there was a spot where Shelby stopped singing and they didn't. So that was kind of a shift. Yeah. But you know, I hesitate to do it because I I don't like you, I don't want to come across like I'm trying to be showy right. and it was a little uncomfortable first service because I I just was part of the team for the first two songs and then the third song the intro started and when you're the lead you step forward and when I stepped forward people applauded. Mm. It kind of made me feel wonky. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, but Second service, they didn't do that because they're like, bro, who's this guy? Because most of them are not believers. (laughs) (laughs) And then that kind of felt wonky. I was like, bro, I thought people were going to clap again. Right, yeah. Yeah, like I could could see that when that first service, it felt like maybe like the other people were like the opening act and then you come out and this is what they've been waiting for, right? He was on social media. And and I actually almost didn't come. (laughs) Almost didn't because Isaiah was supposed to have a football game on Saturday. Uh Uh-huh. And then I wasn't going to be able to get here for it. And then I was like, bro. So then I had, I actually had purchased a flight to fly into Chicago because I'm at all of Isaiah's games. I've right. only ever missed one of Isaiah's games since the second grade. Wow. And I was doing a conference, the Saddleback Conference in Hong Kong, and my flight got changed. And I missed it. And I was devastated. Yeah. And so was he, quite yep. frankly. Yep. Yep. And so I go to all of his games, and he's, he's playing out of prep school on the West Coast. And so I had booked another flight to fly into O'Hare and f- and land at midnight on Saturday night Yikes. and drive back to Green Bay. And Sonny was like, nope, you're not doing that. Because, you know, when nine o'clock hits, my I get a lazy eye. <laughs> and I'm you talking about that. I've never seen it. Like, I feel like I've been around you a lot. I've never seen it. <laughs> she is thinking if I am driving from Chicago to Green Bay at midnight, this is not going to end well. But, uh-huh. you know, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to be with my friend. And I, I love his preaching and I love his spirit more than anything. He's a great preacher, but more than anything, he's a great human. Yeah. 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 He definitely, I mean, you definitely know how much he loves Jesus Christ. And you definitely know how much he loves the family of Christ. And I love that for him. Tell me more about like your background with him a little bit. Like, where does that go back to? Yeah, we were at a youth retreat at Life Center in Tacoma. I was an intern. This is before I was the youth pastor. I see. In 1997, I interned at Life Center for a phenomenal youth pastor named Mark Zweifel, who has an amazing church in Fairbanks, Alaska right now. He is killing it wow. in Fairbanks, Alaska. Like, he is in a place that nobody wants to be, and he is in love with that place. And so they've gone multi-site. And so anyway, Alan was on staff at that church because that's where Rich Wilkerson, he was the staff evangelist there, and his I father-in-law see. was Pastor Buntane. And so we met at that youth retreat, and it was like an instant connection. Mm. We just became, I mean, instantly friends and and have been very, very close since 1997. I mean, we're more than friends. We're brothers. And so we, our wives make fun of us because there's long stretches where we'll talk every day on the phone Mm -hmm. and uh, we vacation together. His, his boys call me uncle Sean and my kids call him uncle Alan and his wife, Hush Marine, auntie Hush. And so it's, it's special relationship. You don't get very many of those in life. And especially when you're 
of a kindred connection like that. And Alan, what you see on the stage, that is Alan all the time. It is, there is zero fabrication in that. He's mm. always energetic. Yeah. He's always telling people about Jesus. And, and he's just a, he, he is the real deal. And that's why he's one of the few people that we have come here. Yeah, I would love to have him quarterly. Actually, Pastor Barry, our friend, who's on our team now here, he's also been a very good friend of mine since 97, interestingly. And he said after the service, I think we should do that once a quarter where he comes in and speaks and you lead worship. And I just don't know that I could afford to have an evangelist once a quarter. <laughs> yeah. Because you do have to take an off. It's their living, right? Right. So. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's how we do it. In fact, so speaking of that, let's just, let's jump into, um, let's jump into a soundbite from him and then, uh, um, and then we'll talk about it. Very good. They would do that and, and they would celebrate. And here's what they were saying. We're going to shake our heads and allow the glory that God has given us to shine because he's given us victory in battle. God has given us his glorious victory in battle. We're going to give it all back to him in celebration. Mm, I can preach that right there. Sometimes you're sitting at your desk and things aren't going the way you want them to go. Maybe sometimes you're in school and you're like, dude, they just pulled a pop test on me. I don't know what I'm going to do with this quiz. Or maybe you got a, a contract and you're like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to fulfill this contract. Sometimes you might just need to shake your head at work and shake your head at school and shake your head in your home and say, you know what? The Bible says this, no matter what comes against me, I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Sometimes you need to shake your head. He was talking about hair, and he's talking about how in the Hebrew culture, your a woman's hair was seen as her glory, like mm -hmm. it, and that was same thing uh, earlier in his message. He talked about for men, it was in their beards. Anyway, so about how their hair was their glory, and so young single women just left their hair un uh, uncovered, but that married women would cover it and keep it only for their husbands. Anyway, but they would talk about how when uh, when the Israelite army would come back victorious, like all the all the young women in the city that would like jump out of the street and they'd dance and they'd shake their hair all around like in this, like to release their glory, to show the glory of God. And like, I love how he's talking here about how sometimes we get it. Like, it's funny for us to talk about shaking our heads with the glorified <laughs> hair because neither of us have any on top of our head. But like, I love this idea about how we should be claiming victory as children of God and showing off his glory. Right. Because I think sometimes we, as people, um, as believers, even maybe we are sometimes ashamed of the glory of God or sometimes like trying to like, I don't know, keep it under wraps. That's, this is what I thought about when I was listening to, mm. uh, to him talk. But like, I wonder what you thought when you, when you think about what he was saying here. Yeah. I really like the image that he gave of re this returning from battle thing that, that the people who were left home, who were being defended, yeah. they were shaking their head in glory of the people who had defended them. And it, it just reminds me of this image in scripture where it says, who is the king of glory? The Lord God mighty in battle. And that God is always out there fighting for us, defending us. And I think sometimes we view God like he's a pacifist, but God is constantly defending us. He's constantly going before us. In fact, there's this scriptural idea of being a breaker. And there's an idea theologically that some people have a breaker anointing. And 
Think what you want about this guy who pastored a church for a long time in Ohio, Rod Parsley. He wrote an incredible book called The Breaker Anointing. And this principle is that some people have been given an anointing to go and chop down a path for people who don't have the strength to chop down a path for themselves. Mm. And so that person is then gifted with the ability to carry a heavier burden than other people. And so if you have the breaker anointing, you're somebody who goes in and chops down the limbs, who chops down anything that would get in the way of people who are inside of your sphere of influence. And and God does that for us. He goes before us as this breaker. He's before us. He's beside us. He's behind us. He's above us. And yet sometimes we think that we're on an island unto ourselves and we're going to be victimized by life. And difficult things happen. But when we begin to understand that who is the king of glory, that God is doing something in all of that, then you weren't there for the battle. These people, that those girls who were shaking their heads when they returned from battle, they weren't there to see that. They didn't even know if the guy who they shook their hair at even fought. Yeah, That dude might have been underneath a chariot the whole time. <laughs> he, might have been, he might never have even pulled his sword out. But this idea for me of when are we going to start to celebrate the idea that God is going before us. And it's easy for us to celebrate in moments of quote unquote victory. But in times like these, where we're constantly facing this pressure cooker of life, where we feel like there's attacks coming from every angle. Do you have the ability to SMH, as the kids would say then? Are you going to shake your head in celebration of the fact that God is protecting you even when you don't think he's protecting you? That there are things that you will never face because he went before yeah. you and blazed the trail. You you never had to pick up a branch from the road because he already chopped it down and threw it out. There's a there's enemies that you'll never encounter because he already defeated that enemy. And so if you think of all of the things that you've had to face and defeat in your life, they are so minimal in comparison to the things that have already been defeated for you that you didn't have to face. And the reason that you didn't have to face them is because God knew you didn't have the strength to mm. defeat those things or to endure those things. Yeah. And so anything that you encounter that's difficult, the only reason that you encounter it is because God has already prepared you with an ability to encounter it. And so this idea of shaking your head or taking your glory and unleashing it, that's what I picture. I picture like, I picture like the smells like teen spirit video yeah. where everybody is like Kurt Cobain is like his hair. You're like, how, who has ever made a Kurt Cobain reference to this godly <laughs> victory? But there's like that, that video was so indicative of like this chaos of a, of an entire generation of people who were shaking something off. And yeah. so if you picture this shaking it off, like we need to shake off our defeat. We need to shake off our fear. We need to shake off the trepidation that we live our lives in that God isn't gonna defend us or that he hasn't already. And so if you're facing something difficult, which so many people are, you've already won that victory. If you'll just, if you'll just shake your glory. This idea of a song popped in my head, shake, shake, shake it off, but it's not that. That's a, a Hillsong United song and oh. it's called 
take, take, take it off. I got oh, distracted in my own yep. mind. Sometimes that happens to like me. Like shake it like a Polaroid like picture? Just shake it. Just take your shake head. It, shake, shake it, shake yeah. it. Not that song? <laughs> cast off, <laughs> cast off the trepidation and unleash the glory that God has already put upon you. Because I think if we sit on that island that you talked about and we think about how I'm never going to get off this thing. I'm never going to get over this thing. I'm never. And the fact is, is you're not. Because you think of it through your own eyes. You think of it through your own lens. You think of it through your own capabilities. And you're right. You are never going to get off of this thing. You're never going to get over this thing. But if you can shake your head, right, and claim the glory of God and, like, celebrate the glory of God who's already gone before you, yeah, there might be some things that you have to lift a little bit. Yeah. But it's only stuff like you had said that he's already um, empowered you to lift. Or he, he's started it. Like, if you get a jar of pickles that you can't get open. Yeah. You know, so you like, and then like you oh, try a little bit and then someone else does it and they can, well, I started it for yeah. you. Oh, like yeah. God's like that jar of pickles guy. Like he's got it all started for us. Yeah. And sometimes we just have to finish it. And so like, those are the things I think that we really need, need to lay claim to and stop thinking that I'm never going to accomplish this because I don't, I know that I don't have the power or I don't have the capability or I don't have the character or integrity or whatever to get over it. Well, if we would think about the things that we've already defeated, we would worry less about the things we need to defeat. Say that again. If we would think about the things we've already defeated, we would worry less about the things we need to defeat. That's it. And the amount of things that God has caused us to get over that we stressed out about. Think about what you stressed out about this time last year. Yep. You're not worried about that anymore. Most people, some people are, but for most people, they don't even remember what they were worried about this time last year. Yep, that's it. It reminds me, um, a few years ago, uh, I went out uh, to Carolina uh, to A, see the Billy Graham Museum, mm-hmm. to two, go to the Cheerwine Festival, because I love me some Cheerwine, which is not wine, it's just cherry spiced <laughs> soda, and then to go to a Volkswagen thing, and then I went uh, to Elevation. This was my first time, yeah. right? I had no idea who Furtick was, I had no idea who Elevation Worship was, whatever. Anyway, I sat in there, and this was when Do It Again was just uh, mm-hmm. hitting it, and Boy, that that song is like a thing for me because yeah. that's what that's talking about. Yep. Like, I've, you've done this all before. Why would I never? Why would I not believe it? You're just going to do it again. Yep. You know, why would I just get back and cower and fret in the corner underneath the chariot, right? When I know that you're just going to you're going to be victorious again. Yeah. Even if it doesn't look like I think it's going to look like or how it's supposed to look like. Well, put it in perspective. If you understand this idea that not only is God going to do it again, but the enemy's going to do it again. He yep. brings the same attacks on us. He just closed them different ways. Yes. He, so. The same thing that you defeated two years ago or the same thing that you defeated last year, you're going to defeat that same thing again, but it feels like pressure and it is pressure. It is difficult. And if you look at people all throughout scripture, it wasn't that what they went through wasn't difficult just because they conquered it. It was difficult, Yeah. but God is the God of difficult. God is the God who's carrying us through. And so this image of shaking your head at these things, I mean, you you could talk about it the way that he talked about it and the fact that real girls shook their real hair, you can talk about it metaphorically and you just go, shake my head. Yep. Whatever, bro. Yep. Yeah. Like when somebody says something, you're just like, okay. Well, I call it smacking your teeth. Yep. Whatever, bro. Right. I ain't even worried about you. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Back in that day, they knew Jesus to be the Messiah. They, they believed he was the Messiah. And no great religious leader, especially a Pharisee, would let somebody who is socially and, 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 and spiritually unclean physically touch them, especially at their feet. The feet of a man was part of his intimacy. He would never let that happen. And so Jesus is sitting there and all this is taking place in men's minds. 
And Jesus knows the hearts of men. And he says, you don't understand love. You don't understand mercy. You don't understand restoration. I am restored. You don't understand it, guys. And he explains what it means to be forgiven. And he explains what it means to be in love. And it was only then that I think Simon understood. He's talking about this woman who comes in while Jesus is with Simon, the Pharisee, uh, for dinner. And she comes in and she, with an alabaster jar, washes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, and anoints his feet with this expensive perfume and everything. And all the dudes are all up in arms because Jesus is doing this or allowing this thing to happen. And if he knew, rah, 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 and all this other stuff. And Jesus like, Jesus is like, if you guys only knew, like you think you know, mm -hmm. like you think you know, but you don't know. And so when he talks about this idea of about Jesus's love and restoration, um, there's a lot there to chew on. A lot. And so for me, I feel like, um, this was the whole thing because it, like us, I feel like the Jewish religious leaders had taken control over the life-giving nature of God and the promise of love and the promise of restoration and kind of took it on themselves that they were the distributors. They were the, mm. the, the, the um, gatekeepers. gatekeepers of it. And so whoever they thought was worthy was who was worthy. And Jesus like, this got nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And so that, I don't know, that's, again, this is where I landed listening to Alan. And so, like, I, but, like, you know, we've got a friend, um, Rabbi Matt, who has a church out, um, a church? Synagogue. See, but I thought that it wasn't a synagogue. It's a Messianic synagogue. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, called Restoration. Yeah. Yes. And so I love this notion of how we can be restored, that no matter who we are can be restored. But these Pharisees were sitting around saying, this woman, don't you see who this woman is? Like she's this kind of woman. And so like she's irreparable. She's irredeemable. She's, you know, you can't save this. Right. And she's like, you guys don't get it. Lost in this story. I, here's what's interesting. I told, I told Dr. Griffin this Sunday night. I'm doing a series in my chapels on Saturday nights. I do a series of chapels services on Saturday nights and I'm in a series in that called Becoming. And in each one of those services, I've been doing a character study mm. on people. I've done the Apostle Paul. I've done David. I've done Joshua. And uh, I did Mary last week, not Jesus' mother, but this Mary. This Mary. And this week, unbeknownst to him on Saturday, my message was on Simon, who Matthew calls Simon the leper, which is interesting. Huh. So he's Simon the leper and he's Simon the Pharisee. It's the same guy. And I think what's interesting and what we miss is, is because contextually they didn't need to know this because they would have already known it. These are the people writing this would have already known this connection. Right. And sometimes when we do write things, we leave out details that we think the people who we're writing it to will know, not thinking that this is going to last for 2,000 years. Right. So, so in Matthew, Jesus meets this leper coming down out of the Sermon on the Mount. And he meets this leper and he heals him. And he says to him, don't tell anybody what I did. 
Just go show yourself to the priests and show that you've been healed so you can be restored. Because anybody who knows anything about leprosy, that person then instantly is quarantined. He's in a leper colony. He can't come near people, which technically some theologians believe that a leper would would then not only have earthly consequences, he would have eternal consequences because wow. he couldn't go to temple. And so if you couldn't go to temple and make sacrifice, how was it that you could go to heaven? Uh-huh. And so you have this man who's who's essentially desperate for his eternity, for his soul. And he comes to Jesus. And if you watch The Chosen, I mean, I've cried in every episode, but particularly in this episode where this leper comes to Jesus and, and, and he says, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says simple words, I am willing. And when he said that, it's like it penetrated my soul, mm. this idea that Jesus is willing. We think that he's not. We've painted a picture of this person who's holding things over our head or waiting for us to do some sort of penance. And yet I am willing, he says. And so I wove the same dialogue that Pastor Allen wove, that that this leper is healed and Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone. Then in John 11, we see Jesus healing Lazarus. We would say that he raised him from the dead because he did. He was dead. He was in the ground four days. There's a whole story to that, which I don't have time to get into, but it's fascinating that it wasn't coincidental that he waited the length of time that he did. And so then he raises, he raises Lazarus from the dead. But when he's approaching the tomb, Lazarus' sisters approach him. Mary and Martha both approach him and say the same thing. Lord, had you been here, our brother wouldn't have died. The reason that they make that comment is because they have a connection to him. They understand. They've experienced something supernatural in him. And then he's delivered this woman from demonic possession. She comes into this room, the room of Simon the Pharisee, but it's Simon the leper, Simon who had been a leper, but had been healed. And so when you track from Matthew eight, I think it is all the way through to John chapter 12, where he's in Simon the leper's house. When this woman comes in, this is his daughter. This is Simon the leper's daughter. The same woman who said, had you been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Yeah. Because somewhere along the line, she encountered Jesus healing her father who had received a death sentence. So essentially, in the life of Mary, she has raised the two most important men in her life, raised them both from the dead. One is spiritual death and one physical death. And so when she comes in this room, everyone in the room knew her, but they somehow assumed Jesus didn't know her. Jesus is like, Bro, I've been knowing her half her life. I know Simon, I know Lazarus, I know Martha, I know Mary, and I know you. And I know the thoughts that are going on in your mind right now and the thoughts that you have going on right now, they are ridiculous. They are ludicrous that you would assume that, that this woman is in here for anything other than to worship me. And we fill cathedrals every week with people who we find acceptable. And then when someone we find unacceptable comes in, we look at them as if they don't belong. That's the very person who belongs. Yes. And Jesus is going, bro, are you kidding me? And I come to this scripture, how beautiful are the feet of these? Yes. Where it's talking about in the feet is intimacy, right? Yes. 
And then scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of these who bring the good news. And this woman would go on and become one of the most influential spiritual leaders that the Bible had known because how beautiful are the feet of these, the people who have been redeemed. And I think about some of these people who we've had come through the doors here at Life Church, or for whoever's listening, they've gone through the doors of your church. And and yet we've looked at them when they've come in like, ugh. And then we get upset when they make mistakes, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that Mary made mistakes. First of all, she shouldn't have even used that perfume, but but she was doing something prophetic, yes. right? One version says that she she poured out nard, pure nard on his feet, and nard was one of the main ingredients, number one, of embalming fluid. So she was preparing him for burial. But number two, the substance that she had, it was illegal. It was reserved for kings. So it was outlawed within the Jewish community. So here, here's this woman who she, obviously she had it because she must have got it from her dad. Right. Right. And here her dad has given her this outlawed substance that is of a year's worth of wages value. And it is enclosed in one version says in an alabaster box. One says it's in a jar, but alabaster was one of the main accoutrements on the temple of Solomon. So we know that it's of incredible value and it has already been used in worship. And then that box is sealed with wax. It is a single use box. And so for her, she could not reclose that. She could never use it again. And she reserved that as a prophetic way of anointing her king, who no one else in that room had, even Simon, her father, even Lazarus, her brother, whom he had raised from the dead, did not recognize him in the same way that she did. She identified him as her king. And so when Jesus goes to trial, he is still saturated with the smell of an illegal substance that only could be given by someone who had this past. And he's, he's got not only the smell of being a king, which he was the king of the Jews, as they argued that that right. shouldn't be, that some should say he's the king of the Jews, but he's got the smell of repentance upon him from this woman. And so when you look at this image of this woman coming in and taking the thing that's most valuable to her, that's what God is asking for us in this idea of repentance, in this idea of restoration. And so if you're an alcoholic, Obviously, the thing that's most valuable to you is for you to drink alcohol because you have right. placed it above your family. Right. You've played, you've lost jobs over it. If you have a drug addiction, that drug is the thing that is most important to you. A pornography, food, whatever that is. Like I, 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 food has been a thing for me and to the point where there's times I will eat food and hide it. I'll eat food and I'll throw the wrapper away so that Sonny doesn't see it. Or yep. I'll tongue in cheek say, oh, I'm going to eat this, but don't tell my wife. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's hidden. That's, a, that's some sort of a problem, right? This become more important than honesty to me. And so she's taking this thing of incredible value and she's anointing his feet with it, recognizing that how beautiful are the feet of these who bring, he's bringing the good news. And this idea of us being restored. How many people do we know who they come in and they get saved, but they don't get restored? They fall back into it or right. they relapse or whatever that thing may be because they because they understand that salvation is important, but they don't understand that redemption is also important, that sanctification is also yeah. important, that salvation is one thing, that that it's our ticket to heaven But this idea that if I don't live a sanctified life where I'm starting to get rid of things, and that's why, you know, we have these 
brothers and sisters who come from the correctional facilities and they land in our doorstep and they're gung-ho in the beginning and they're the greatest team members that we have. But if somebody doesn't grab a hold of them and say, yeah, but listen, this thing that was most important to you, whatever it was that got you incarcerated, we got to get rid of that. That's why Journey to Wholeness is so big to us that we go, listen, we got to get to the root of this thing. And for Mary, whatever it was, was her hang up before. There's lots of different suggestions, right? But whatever that thing was that for was for her, she had to surrender that and be restored. I mean, when we look in the chosen and Nicodemus yeah. goes in and he tries to like pray the demons out of her and the demons like punk him out, bro, and scare the life yeah. out of him. Yeah. To the point where he's like talking to John the Baptist and he's like, bro, what do I do? And John the Baptist is like, why are you talking to me? I'm in prison. And then he's like, goes to Jesus and he's like having this conversation with just like this beautiful dialogue between this hungry spiritual leader. And Jesus later in the gospel says to his disciples, like, they're like, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, some things only come by prayer and fasting. And it's this whole thing of giving up, like prayer and fasting are both symbols of surrender, right? Like you're going to, when, yes. when you're fasting, you're going to give up something. So this idea of coming in and anointing his feet and them thinking, obvious, Jesus clearly doesn't know her. The reason that Jesus let her anoint his feet is because he knew her. Right. He didn't let some rando right. come in right. there and anoint right. his feet. He's like, bro, I've been, you can't, this is, this is my sister. Right. Right. I've already, right. Yeah. I've already identified her. Yeah. She's my people. Yeah. And that's how he looks at us. He's like, this is Scott, you can this of course I know Scott. This is my it's my brother. Like we're this yes. is my people. And when we when we can begin to view ourselves the way that Mary viewed Jesus rather than the way that these other cats in the room viewed Jesus, then suddenly and simply this whole thing will change to where we go, I get it now. Yeah. I can give that I there's a, I can give that up for you. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stop looking. Stop looking at Jesus as an icon or as uh, uh, this thing that we could never know, this thing that, you know, maybe we'll meet someday, but he lived 2,000 years ago and something, something that when we look at him, especially him through like the idea of the Holy Spirit in him, like this idea that, you know, because when he left, right, when he left, he said, I got to go, yeah, but I'm going to leave something even better behind. Yeah. I'm going to leave the the friendship, my friendship behind, the Holy Spirit behind. Yeah. And so like I feel like sometimes we just skip over that part and we don't have this we talk about the personal relationship with Jesus Christ all the time, but this thing with Mary and the alabaster and the nard, of course, every time you say nard though, I think of Nardia or No, I think of wasn't that like um uh uh, uh the nickname for Andy Bernard in the office didn't they call him the nard dog? I never watched the office one episode. That's the episode. Episode of chewing that we're done now today. <laughs> I gotta talk to this guy anymore. What a joker. What a loser. Anyway. But so like <clears throat> when we think about like this friendship, that's what we would do out of friendship. That's what we do that would be that close. And I, sometimes I almost hate using the word intimate because we think yeah. intimate means intimate clothing or intimate apparel yeah. or intimate relationships. When like it's got nothing to do with the carnal part of love. It's got everything to do with the agape part of love, the thing yeah. that I would gonna put you before me part of love. I'm going to, you know, worship you part of love. And we just skip over that part too much. We have a hard time understanding anything we haven't experienced. So when you haven't yeah. experienced intimacy, you can't under, 
understand it. So people think they've experienced intimacy because they've had sex, but that wasn't intimate. Right. It was just carnal. Yes. And which carnal obviously comes from the root word in the Latin carne, which is where we get carne asada. It means meat. It's fleshly. And so you've uh. had sex, but it was just fleshly. It wasn't spiritual. It wasn't like when you have an encounter sexually with a person, you are connected to them at a cellular level. Like yeah, your soul, yeah, yeah. that's why teenagers who have sex before they get married, suddenly they can't escape that person because they don't understand that they're connected in their soul. And so it was meant to be intimate, but when you haven't experienced intimacy, you then distort that, right? And we right. distort all of these things. And so when we talk about being intimate, with God, it's like, why is that wonky? Like I'm intimate with my wife when we're not yeah. having an encounter, like a sexual yeah. encounter. Right. I don't like, need to go to Sybaris to be intimate with my wife. Right. Right. Like I could be watching not right. the office, obviously, stupid. but something else. So stupid, bro. And that could be a moment of intimacy because we're connected. It reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, um, it was after I don't know which game the Packers played. And uh, maybe it was the last time that it wasn't this week, but anyway, that's not important because I'm going to date the podcast. My point was Aaron Rodgers walking off the field, Pam Oliver stops him for an interview. They exchange the interview thing. And at the end of the interview, you know, he says, you know, thanks. Thanks so much. Love you, Pam. She says, love you too, Aaron. Right. And like these guys on, I listen to Milwaukee sports radio yeah. because in the middle of the day, there's nothing. I don't like Jim Rome. And yeah, anyway, um, but these guys were like, I can't believe Aaron told Pam Oliver he loves her. What does Shailene Woodley think about that? Bro, what, what are you, your, nine? What are you, like, nine? The, come on. This is what love this means middle to Middle school? Oh, my gosh, bro. <laughs> Get yourself to journey to wholeness and grow right. the up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> the world's happening. Well, let's, let's do it like this. Um, Simon had a son. He died. Four days later, Jesus shows up and raises him from the dead. He shouts his name and tells him, come forth. What name did he shout? Ooh, there's some smart people. You know, this is the first service. Everybody going to heaven in the first service. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus had a sister. She used to bake and cook and serve Jesus. And she often would take care of Jesus and give a lot of money to Jesus. What was her name? Martha. Martha had a sister who was in love with Jesus. And everywhere Jesus went, she was found at his feet. What was her name? This is Mary. Hold on, hold on. This is Simon's daughter. This goes back to the restoration and the things that we can be or should be restored from. And like how we need to start claiming the restoration that's been offered to us. The fact that like you had said, that he is willing. And so like so often we, we, don't, we don't want to hear that. And, you know, it reminds me... <clears throat> I, um, last night at uh, church downtown, we were kind of talking about this, about how God has restoration for us. But we think that the things that we've done are like beyond restoration, that they're just too ugly for God. And I was mm. probably inappropriately talking about how I had a bachelor party uh, in my first marriage. I was in the Navy at the time. So a bunch of dudes from the boat took me to Tijuana for a bachelor party. And so we were talking about how, we were talking about how, um, drugs can be a thing for us. And I was talking about like, I've never, I've never done a hard drug like that. Like I do remember there was guys in the room though, and they were 
they were doing cocaine. And so like I, there was like some left. And so I, I did that thing that they do in movies where I took some and I like smooshed it in my gums, but nothing ever really happened. With it. But that's the extent of my knowledge about cocaine. Yeah. So you're a cokehead. I am a cokehead. Yeah. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably gonna get fired when this is done. <laughs> anyway, but my point was, was that, um, you know, there's, there's nothing that's beyond the reach or the restoration of God, like even as ugly as we think that it is. And so we can't look at what we've done through our lens or the lens of the people that may have already judged us. And we certainly can't look at, as you had alluded to, we can't look at it as the salvation being the end of it, that it's got to be a continual process of sanctification. Like I just got to get better at this and I have to hate what I'm doing. I have to hate it. And I might do it again. I'm probably not going to do that Coke thing again, but like I have to... (laughs) But I have to hate that I'd done it, right? Or whatever my thing is, right? If if my thing is hiding food for my wife, which I also do, I get I have to hate that I do that and try to not do it better tomorrow. Or you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the process of sanctification. And that's our that's our claim to the kingdom. That's our claim to the friendship of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we just feel like it's 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 beyond us. Yeah, I went to counseling years ago, maybe fifteen years ago. I went to emerge in Ohio. And I had an issue that I was dealing with and I just was tired. I was exhausted from it. And it was, it was consuming me. And because it was consuming me, it was consuming my marriage. It was consuming my kids. It was consuming my ministry. And so, so I went to this counselor at Emerge because I wanted to get rid of that thing. Yeah. So this, this one particular struggle that I was having. And he was so insightful. He said, well, that's not your issue. It's your symptom. And if you don't figure out what your issue is, you can get rid of your symptom and you will just get another symptom. It says if your symptom is money, then you can get all of the checks and balances that you want to keep your money in check, but then it's going to manifest itself in women. And then you can put all of the checks and balances and all of the fences around yourself about women, then it will become food. And then it'll go from food to gambling, to tobacco, to alcohol. And it'll just, it'll just jump from one thing to another because you haven't addressed the core of what your issue is. Just part of the heart behind journey to wholeness is this was that thought, that idea that I wasn't really struggling with that thing. It was just manifesting itself as that thing. It was the opportunity that had presented itself. So when we take that into the spiritual realm, we all manifest in different ways. It is whatever portion of the fence is vulnerable when the enemy gets there. I used to have this dog. His name was Samson. He was a Rottweiler. He was really big. I mean, he was 150 pounds probably. He was a German Rottweiler. And I, I went away on a trip. And I had a a friend of mine who was one of our youth leaders at the time. I had him. I said, will you go feed my dog while I'm gone? He said, yeah, man, no problem. I love dogs. His name was Brock Mullins. Huge guy, like Mm. 6'3", 290 pounds, you know, former defensive tackle, college football player, tough dude. So came home and I said, hey, man, you feed my dog while I was gone? Because he's really hungry. (laughs) He said, man, I went over the first day. I went to get into your backyard. I opened the gate. He came running across the yard with his teeth out. I closed the gate. I took that bag of food. I threw it over the fence. I left. I was gone a week, bro. When I got home, there was no food left. The only thing that was left was like a few pieces of paper from the bag. He ate 
50 pounds of food and the bag, bro. <laughs> that dog was ferocious. He was awesome. I loved that dog, but he hated everybody else, right? So for our neighbor's safety, I had an electric fence installed on my house. And this is back in the day before they had InvisiFence that right, right. does it with sound. It did it with actual electricity and they would run it a few inches above the ground and it would be like a wire, bro. And it would, they put in the little thing, plug it in, boom. Constant hum. <laughs> One day we're in the house and I just heard, burp, burp, burp. Now like, what is going on? And I go outside and now here, the reason I went outside, I heard, arr, arr, arr. and I look outside and he had his nose stuck underneath the wire, bro. And it was burning his nose. I was like, oh my gosh, where's PETA? They're going to literally put me in prison. And he had this huge line across his nose where it had burned. And what the previous Yelps were, were him testing spots. He was looking for the spot that had no current. Come on. And I remember the Holy Spirit saying, that's exactly what the enemy does in your life. He's looking for the spot where there's no current of protection. And when he finds that, he's going all in. And so for some people, that spot where there's no current, they don't have a protection against pornography. They're on their computer all hours. Now we're on our smart devices and we got kids that are on, you know, 24 hours a day. For some people, it's social media, whatever that thing may be. And if we don't identify the source, we'll only ever deal with the symptom. And that's why people live their lives in constant defeat because they live their lives chasing symptoms rather than trying to find the source. And sanctification is when we go past the symptom and find the source and let the Savior redeem us of that. And so I have spent the better part of my adult life trying to help people identify the source. And the only way that you can identify the source is to distance yourself from the symptom and get yourself in proximity to the Savior. There's this Roberta Flack song. You've probably heard it. The closer I get to you, Mm, the more you make me see by giving you all I've got. Your love has captured me. And I think it's James Ingram who sings it with him. But oh man, that's every time that song comes on. First, my kids know when a song comes on, first of all, it's my jam. And then, oh, and I was like, oh man, that's my jam. And my head will go back. And man, <laughs> let that song come on right now, man. I will worship. And I know that it's about a dude, right? It's about, but right. to me, I hear that and I go, those are some of the most worshipful yeah. lyrics I've ever heard. It's the thought of sanctification. It's the thought of being restored that I want to get myself so close to the Savior that it goes beyond eliminating symptoms in my life. I've, de- I've eliminated enough symptoms in my life, but the problem is it's like whack-a-mole. And right. the minute I get rid of one symptom, another one pops up. And, and it's like some of the most random symptoms that'll pop up. Like for me, sometimes it's pride where I just go, I think I'm more important than I am. Mm. And I think that the Holy Spirit sometimes will remind me, you're just some, you're just some dude that I chose. Yeah. Like I called you to this. Like I picked you. You're, you're my guy. But you start thinking you're your own guy and you can be un- unsuccessful pretty quick. Yeah. Like I don't, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm a sinner. Like I said that in my message a few weeks ago. Like I'm, I am saved. I'm going to heaven. There's, I have zero doubt right. in my mind. Right. I'm going to heaven. But there are some times that I just live my life like I haven't shattered the alabaster box yet. 
Mm. Like I haven't. Washed, <laughs> washed his feet with my tears and wiped his feet with my hair, with my glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle. And so it comes back to that beginning, that shaking your head and metaphorically shaking it in worship, but also shaking off those things that are, that are connected to you, that are attached to you and whatever that thing yeah. maybe and 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 not looking at sanctification like it's a punishment but looking at it like it's a pleasure i love that god is is sanctifying me that i am in the midst of progressive sanctification that today god is going to chip away a little bit more of me so that tomorrow i will look more like his image and only the sculptor the artisan can look at that stone and know what it is that they're trying to produce. Yeah. He's trying to produce something that looks like him in me, which is why years ago it became one of my prayers that today helped me become less like me and more like you. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I don't know what else we'd say after that. Hey, listen, thanks. If you joined us uh, for this podcast, you enjoyed it. We would love it if you would uh, share this podcast with, I don't know, any of your friends or family that you think might benefit. Just click the share button on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We'd also love it if you would rate or review this podcast because more people will see it, the more people uh, rate and review it. So we just want to make sure that we get the heart and the words of God into everyone's hands. And so, Sean, thanks again for being here today. Uh, thanks for like second preaching that message because I feel like that's <laughs> essentially what happened today and I loved every minute of it. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We've got a bunch of other podcasts, the whole podcast, uh, sunny podcast. We've got the sermon podcast. It's all out there, man. So like, don't ever think that you don't have anything to do to fill up your day or fill up your life because there's a lot out there in podcast land from Life Church. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>